Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. Who the F decided that it was time to rev their motorcycle down my street over and over and over again? I'm so sorry if you hear that. Absolute nonsense. I wish there was a way to get rid of motorcycle revving forever. Also, LED lights. Why do you need LED lights? I hate that. I feel like I'm going blind looking into my rearview mirror every single time. What am I doing? What intro is this? Hi. Today we're doing something kind of fun. We are doing the best of the worst on Netflix, which is kind of like a fun precursor to the best and worst of the year that I'm going to be doing next month. This was a wild ride, I have to be honest. It wasn't as horrible as I was expecting. And I'm not sure if that's because I have horrible taste or if these movies just really aren't that bad. I feel like I have evolved but also disintegrated as a human being after watching these. Because I watched them like one after the other. It was like a marathon over the course of two or three days. I can't wait to give you the tea on it. There will be spoilers. I will obviously say the name of the movie first and foremost. So if for some reason you would like to watch these movies and have surprises, maybe fast forward ahead a few minutes. I'm not going to do timestamps for something like this because that kind of defeats the purpose. But I digress. These wouldn't be my recommendations. But who am I to judge your Netflix viewing habits? But before we start the countdown, let's get some coffee directly injected into our bloodstream and give our fair warning to the children and adults who don't like cuss words or um, exotic dancers, because we will be talking about that. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit language. Well, wait a minute. I fucked that up. Hold on. I cuss. This is an explicit podcast where I may discuss explicit content. Spoiler, I will be discussing explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. Now you know. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Now on with the show. So I did what I said I wasn't going to do, and I'm happy that I did it. I went to Stabby's and I got the caramel brulee latte. And for me, I've noticed that all of the lattes under the uh, toasted warm gourmand flavor all kind of taste the same. The caramel brulee, the toasted white mocha hot, the toffee nut, whatever that one was, the toasted whatever, whatever. It's all decent tasting, but all of it tastes the same. I love how that's coming from Bad Baby. Like, she's not wrong. She's talking about Erica Costello in that clip. But also, like, you look the same as every other bitch as well. Ms. Danielle. I feel like Erica Costell or Costello, I don't really know her. I'm not familiar too much, but I know what she looks like. I know her aesthetic is kind of like Fashion Nova ambassador. Use my code for 20% off kind of gal. And Bad Baby's style, um, it's giving cultural appropriation. And she also kind of looks like a Fashion Nova ambassador kind of situation. So yeah, Danielle Bergoli and Erica Costell are kind of the same, actually. So wow, ironic, full circle. I went on a tangent. Basically, everyone is boring though so I don't know why anyone acts like they're unique or special style wise it's not really something to strive for anymore there's like five categories that I feel like most people fall into there's the fashion nova ambassador there's the um pinterest girl with the brown cardigans jeans 
booties and a cute hat. There's the spooky, it's always Halloween girl. There's the basic bitch that just wears jeans and like band t-shirts. I feel like that's the category I fall into because I'm certainly not saying I'm unique. I'm not calling these people out and thinking that I am better than. No, no, no. I fall into a basic bitch category as well. And then finally, I feel like there's the athleisure slash leggings category. She'll wear whatever as long as it's comfortable. Final note, stop saying that other people aren't unique and that they look like every other bitch because you look like every other bitch as well. Just every other bitch in another category. Let's just get into the best of the worst. We are going to do this best backwards. I am going to count down from the best of the worst to the worst of the worst. We'll sort of dive down the dumpster and eventually suffocate in trash. I'm going to be using the ratings from IMDb. I decided that anything below 4.9 stars was a worthy candidate and I didn't just pick from the very bottom. I wanted to see some of the upper fours and three stars as well because those are still poorly rated. Let's be honest. And my number 10 best of the worst falls right in between with a rating of 3.7 stars on IMDb. And it's titled The Last Days of American Crime. The biggest flaw of this film, certainly not the only flaw. No, 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 no. Again, I am not in any way recommending these movies. This is just sort of a fun little experience. If you'd like to join in and have this experience with me and watch these movies, you're more than welcome to do so. But don't get it twisted. This is 100% a roast episode. This is a best of a bad situation. So please don't side eye me if you turn this bad Larry on and are like, what the fuck is she talking about? So the biggest flaw of the last days of American crime, the runtime was the biggest and baddest issue for me. It's two and a half fucking hours long. And let me tell you, this is not Tarantino or a Scorsese situation. This is not a long film that's smiled upon and given an Oscar. No, 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 no. You will have that 2.5 hours filled with horrendous writing, abhorrent acting, and the biggest sin, although I do believe this goes hand in hand with the length of the film, it's fucking boring. I wonder if there was an editor involved at all. The entire film felt disjointed and there were so many scenes that were absolutely pointless. There's so many different storylines and things happening. It confused my already bored and tired brain. I didn't even tell you what it's about. Hold on. In the not too distant future, as a final response to terrorism and crime, the U.S. government plans to broadcast a signal making it impossible for anyone to knowingly commit unlawful acts. So I bitch and I moan and I roast, but alas, this is the best of the worst. Why, you ask? Because the idea of this story is so fucking cool and I wish someone would do like a massive remake, even though this was like 2020 this came out, I believe. But a remake would be insane. Let's just wipe the slate clean, forget this ever happened, kind of like Eclipse in the Twilight Saga, and just do this bad Larry over. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's based on a graphic novel of the same name. I'm not super sure, but we could just take it in a different direction, make it a TV show. I think that would be super cool. Something with this idea, because that is really clever. Overall, it was a really beautiful concept that was shot and killed and set on fire. The next title. Oh man, when you hear the name of this, hear me out. Just, just listen, hear, hear me, okay? Chocolate City, Vegas. Okay, 
which is a sequel to Chocolate City. And the rating on Chocolate City Vegas is 3.8. You probably already have an idea of what this is about just from the name, but let me give you the plot. The exotic dancers from Chocolate City get back together for a trip to Las Vegas. They decide to enter a national stripper competition to try their luck at winning $500,000 in prize money to save the nightclub from foreclosure. I know what you're thinking. It's Chocolate Magic Mike. And sure, fine. But the story I'm telling you is way, way better in my opinion. It doesn't mean I'd throw it on for a movie night, but I thought story-wise Chocolate City, I can't believe I'm even saying this. I thought story-wise Chocolate City was more endearing. I actually really liked the story. I was not aware of, nor have I seen the original or originals. I don't know if this is a saga of some sort. I don't know how many of these gems are out there, but I was shook when I saw this movie had some real star power. Michael J. White, Mel B, aka Scary Spice, Genuine, and Vivica A. Fox? I was very, very intrigued. And the acting was actually pretty good for a cornball film. I mean, you get what you get, you know? But I would say for the realm that it's in, this was like top tier acting. I was pretty happy with it. There's really no cute way to transition to the uh, elephant in the room. So let's talk about the strip scenes. And I want to interject with my thoughts on male exotic strippers in general first, because I think that's important. These dancers are extremely talented. It's dancing, it's entertainment, and it's hard work. I have all the love and respect for exotic dancers across the board. Men, women, everyone in between, I'm here for it. That being said, never in my 27 and a half years on this earth have I gotten a weddy watching a dude sensually flop his do-diddly on a stage dressed as a fireman or army man or whatever weird costume they think embodies masculinity. Not once. To me, it's just fucking cringe, if not just outright funny. That doesn't mean I don't have respect for them or I don't admire what they do. It just means I'm not turned on by it. I'm sorry, but I don't need Channing Tatum's big ass fucking Nike smacking me in the head while he gyrates in my face to 112. That doesn't, that doesn't do it for me. I can think of a much better way to spend my Friday evening, okay? But that was my same experience watching the dance portions of this movie. I appreciated the talent, but I wasn't tingly, okay? I don't think people on the opposite side of the coin as me would be pleased with this portion of the film either because it's not very, how do I like put this delicately. Uh, it's not quite dicky enough, I can imagine, to please that crowd. But if you're looking for more skin, this certainly is not that. I would say it falls somewhere happily and tastefully in the middle. But let's just speak objectively about the dancing and the creative direction. It was fabulous. There was one troupe who dressed as baseball players and danced to a song that was like, I'ma knock it out the park. And it was just great. The dancing was great. The outfits were great. The the whole situation was just fabulous. Very creative. We love to see it. I was very impressed. Overall, Chocolate City Vegas had heart and purpose and there was a clear 
message and motive and the characters were likable. I mean, it wasn't dynamite character development, but the story was really interesting. All right, guys, we're heading further and further into the garbage. This next movie, SPF 18, I was surprised I hadn't heard of it. I figured it would be a Netflix darling film because it's a rom-com Netflix original with the cutesy dream boy Noah Centanananano, whatever his name is. And then they randomly had Goldie Hawn narrating for some reason, I guess. It served zero purpose. Like, I don't know why there was a narrator to begin with. It was like... I don't know. I don't think they ever explained what this narrator was either. So I was just sort of like, oh, okay. All right. We have Goldie Hawn narrating. Okay. It is what it is, right? And you know how Netflix loves their random, older, kind of B-list celebrity cameos. Please don't yell at me when I call Keanu Reeves a B-list celebrity. I know he's not, especially with his Matrix movie coming out, but you know what I'm saying? He's not, you know, he's not like super relevant. Just because he's a vampire doesn't mean he's relevant. Sorry. I can appreciate the fucking awesome skin regimen without saying, you know, he's relevant. Aside from Keanu the Vampire, there's Pam Anderson who makes a cameo, Molly Ringwald. I really was confused that I'd never heard of it. Maybe it just slid off my radar, but it had the formula that Netflix loves. The hunky Noah centipede guy and it's a rom-com and it's cutesy and it's on a beach and you have some B-list celebrities thrown in there. But after about hmm, eight minutes of watching, I realized why Netflix may have let this one slip away and never be found ever again. But you know me, I find these movies. And what exactly is this gem about this SPF 18? Well, it has 3.2 stars on IMDb. Let me insert the plot here. The arrival of an enigmatic musician in Malibu could potentially change the lives of a teenage girl and her surfer boyfriend. That's the skim mill plot. It's like a small hormonal teenage fever dream on a fucking beach. That's really what this movie is. The main girl Penny loses her virginity and then a musician comes along and she's like, oh my God, I love them both. The cherry popper and the musician, I love them. Blah, blah, blah. The characters and their libidos are all over the place, like young adults should be, right? Nothing wrong with that. But the libido development was the only development we see in this movie because the character development literally went nowhere. But the movie, I will give it props, it, it did nothing with the character development, yet it made me loathe each and every character. That is admirable. That is a talent. Oh, and then there was like this weird lucid dream scene that went on for far too long. I was just like, okay, David Lynch, like, let's cut this shorter. This is getting uncomfortable. How dare I even speak that genius's name in the same breath of this film. He does it right. He does it perfectly. This was just awful. Too long of a scene. So this was Johnny that was tripping out on this fever dream. Oh, and by the way, they're all staying in this like big Keanu Reeves beach house because for some reason Keanu Reeves is like, yeah, come stay at my house, right? To this one kid. And the kid brings his girlfriend and her girlfriend brings her cousin and then the musician shows up, right? Okay, there we go. I think I might be forgetting another character, but it's really irrelevant 
basement. They're all just hanging out at this beach house. So Johnny's tripping. He's on his lucid dream, whatever. While he's in the midst of this, there's Camilla, who's Penny's cousin. And when Johnny's like kind of coming to, she kisses him, her cousin's boyfriend, because she felt a vibe. And I'm so sorry if this is all over the place, but that's exactly what this movie was, right? So Camilla's kind of a dick, basically. So that happened. Let's put that on a shelf while we dissect this further. What this film felt like was a B plot of a really nice beach read novel, if that makes any sense. If you're familiar with a nice beach read, like if Johnny was invited to stay at this beach house by his eccentric grandmother, who he's only met three times, and if the beach house was in a different country, country so he was getting attributed with the country and I don't know I'm not trying to give storylines away but you know he served gelato at an ice cream shop and he was struggling and he was trying to figure out his career path but then got bit by a spider and became like Spider-Man but also had this girlfriend that he brought with him on the trip and her cousin lived in Italy and him and the cousin had an affair and Italian musician shows up and you know it would make sense if this movie was a b-plot does that make any sense at all? Did my Italian Spider-Man gelato scooping idea just throw you through a fucking loop? This is my brain. Welcome. Really, they tried to make SPF 18 a really sad and profound story. Like the kid's dad died and that's sad and all, but he was being all pouty while house sitting for Keanu fucking Reeves. Like what? That doesn't click in my brain. He would just have these moments of should I be a pro surfer or should I throw myself into art school. Ugh, my poor fucking life. And then there's the musician that I keep talking about. I think his name was Ash or Misty or something. And Ash kind of just throws himself into this random tringle of a group. I feel like there was one more person, but I cannot remember. I guess they're irrelevant, right? So there's Camilla, Johnny, and Penny. Musician comes in and Penny and him are hanging out and they're on like a dock, I think, or something. I can't remember, but he starts playing music and Penny's like, OMG, my mom's like semi famous. I have all this clout. I posted it to my Instagram or whatever she said. So she posted the video of him singing and it had like 1100 likes and he lost his fucking mind. But of course, as he is losing his mind, as it would happen, a major record label person saw the video with 1100 likes and was like, that kid, that one right there singing mediocre on the beach. Uh, that's who we want. Go get that kid. Because that's how stories roll, right? I feel like I am swimming in a swamp of just shit and I'm just not moving. I feel like I'm like waving my arms. What do they call that? Waddling? No, it's not. Waiting. It is waiting, right? I feel like I'm waiting and trying to move forward and it's like trying to get through this story and it's just all shit all in the way. Just murky, murky shit. That's what this movie is. Speaking of murky, murky shit, there was also a fivesome and they don't show it, but they infer it, I guess you could say. It for sure happened. And sure, it's all fun and good. Like get your fivesome on on the beach in Keanu Reeves' house. Like what's up with that? Good times. Uh, If you forget that the two girls are fucking cousins and literally fucking cousins. They went from California beach to Yeehaw land. No big deal, bruh. Just it's cool. It's kosh. Everything's fine. 
and that's where we're gonna end this it was spf 18 yeah that was number eight we still have a lot more to go we still have seven more to bang out and a incestual fivesome is just the tip of the iceberg next up is one of the lowest ranking titles on imdb it's the second to worst rated actually but here on this list it's my number seven sex unzipped with rapper saweetie let's go and it's rated a grim 2.2 on IMDb. Rap superstar Saweetie hosts a celebration of sexual health and positivity with help from expert educators, candid stand-ups, and uninhibited puppets. Uninhibited. Mmm. That's a, that's a word to describe them. To uh, put it more bluntly, puppets are jerking off for the camera. Uh, I don't know how else to explain that behavior, but sure, uninhibited. Let me shout out the positives first, because I think that's important. Well, positive. It's not plural. It's just one thing. The information given is very useful. I think any accurate and real sex education, specifically for adults, this is an 18 plus title, by the way, just because there's puppets that doesn't make it, you know, kid friendly. But I think the information is extremely beneficial, even when it's offered up with horrendous jokes, foul puppets, and a nauseating acting performance from Miss Diamante Harper, aka Saweetie. Ideally, this would be a really fucking cool idea if you nixed the puppets because that's a very weird thing to throw into this. And bring in celebrities from all walks of life, like that documentary with like the magic mushrooms and they were all talking about their trips and whatnot. That's a really great documentary or docu-series. I can't remember what it was at this moment, but if you have a chance to watch it, I highly recommend. It was really great. I think if these celebrities came in, if they were comfortable, of course, and they talked about their experience with like losing their virginity, their process of realizing and growing in their sexuality, discussing different safe sex methods and their like favorite sex positions. I think that would have been awesome and it would have made the conversation surrounding sex so much less taboo because it really doesn't need to be. To defend the horrendous rating that this got, most of the bad reviews came from homophobic weirdos thinking the devil has taken the form of puppets and infected Netflix in America with its puppet wiener. So do with that what you will. I hope an actual marriage of useful information and entertainment will come to Netflix at some point soon. Number six, we are back to this movie. Oh man, he's all that. I finally finished it. And, and honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this. It was a welcome relief after the movies I had watched prior to this until I remembered the pain. The initial blow of stupidity didn't hit as hard, but then the aching, the hot mess, uh, a hot mess that does have the highest rated title on this list on IMDb, let me say that. It has a 4.3. Still abysmal, but like less abysmal. It still has the Addison Ray fans hyping it up, you know? I don't know who those are. I've never really come across an Addison Ray fan, um, but I'm sure there's a standum for everyone. Let me throw you the basic idea of the movie again, just in case you weren't around when I discussed it before and in case you have no idea what this movie is. Lucky you. An influencer, have you tapped out yet just at that? No? Okay, I'll keep going. An influencer who specializes in makeovers bets that she can transform an unpopular classmate into a prom king. And let's talk about that word influencer for a quick moment, because I'm not going to spend too much time on this. 
the brand deals. Yeah, I'm talking about it again. Everything possible in this movie, from the skincare to the popcorn to the fucking toilet paper, everything was sponsored. That is unbelievable to me, but honestly, like this is 2021 going into 2022. It's a reality and I know that, but it's so in your face. Like at least on the morning show, for example, there's so many sponsored items, but I only know that when I'm looking for it. This was directly in your face. It was so obnoxious. But anyway, I finished the movie. I still thought it was shit, but it was a better pile of shit than the rest of the ones that will follow. Matthew Lillard and the quality of production visually was the only reason it's up so high on my list. I still believe it's a poorly written, dumb reminder of how far we have sunk into an influencer culture world via some amateur and strange acting. Thank you, next. We have made it to the middle of the dumpster. We are at number five. And who holds the middle of the road crown? Splatter, which has a beautiful IMDb rating of 3.1. After self-righteous rock star Johnny Splatter puts a bullet in his own head, only five people are chosen to attend the reading of Splatter's will. The manager, the shrink, the guitarist, the lover, and the groupie. Will they get what they came for or what Splatter thinks they deserve? My confusion is heavy right now. From what I see, this is a series, but Netflix sort of has its own standalone short film. Whatever, I'm going off of what I watched. We start the movie off with a bang, literally. Corey Feldman, yes, the Corey Feldman of the Corys, blowing his head off. This intrigued me. That sounds dark and weird. Sorry, but like as a movie, as far as movies go in a fiction world, that's cool. It's a pretty unique way to start a film. And this film is certainly unique. It's pretty odd, to be honest. It was only 20 minutes long, which leads me to believe that this was the first episode. If this is in fact a series, I don't really know what it is. Hold on, let me, I have to dive deeper into this. I'm quite confused. Oh, okay. Let me read the Wikipedia situation we got going on. The film aired over three parts on October 29th, November 6th, and 13th, and was subsequently combined into a single 29-minute segment. In October 2019, the film website Trailers from Hell released all 10 variations of the series, giving the viewer the option of whom to kill next. That's actually a wicked cool concept, especially for 2009. Okay, I love that. So it was like a web series and they were all super short. Uh, But and however, the directing was awkward and weird. It looked cheap and uninspired, but I liked the gore. And you know what? I really like the idea of this whole thing. I like the web series. I like the plot. Knowing it was a web series, it makes it a a lot more forgivable. I didn't super enjoy it, but it was a fun ride, even if it really wasn't super engaging. Maybe during the web series it was, since you get to choose who to kill. That's really awesome. It was hysterical though, and you could tell it's supposed to be shitty and funny. It came from the guy who did Gremlins, if I'm not mistaken, and that sort of solidifies for me that this was supposed to be campy, dumb fun, which I'm all about that. I'm not mad at that. It just wasn't a shitty, campy horror moment that I enjoyed. I don't know. I'm neither here nor there, and that's why it falls directly in the middle at number five, the neutral zone, the Switzerland. I've made two Twilight references in one podcast, so I have some sort of award waiting for me, I hope. I think, honestly, if you look back at every episode, there has to be a Twilight or an Office reference in at least every single one. I have a problem. Moving on. 
oh, lordy, lordy, this was a a time, okay? This was a full-on experience. I actually have a strange comparison, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on, let me get myself together. The title is Deadly Illusions, and it's rated 3.7 on IMDb. Quite plainly, this is such trash. Like, the, the smelliest, oldest trash. It's like a Lifetime movie with better production quality and a shittier plot. Kristen Davis, aka Miss Charlotte from Sex and the City, stars as an erotic thriller novelist who cures her writer's block by some steamy sex with her hubby and naughty nanny. Fun time ends when a body turns up. Not as fascinating or steamy as it sounds. So if you are looking for titties, wiener, or anything of value horror-wise, you will be disappointed. This is for vanilla boomer moms who like rub one out to Fifty Shades of Grey. That's what this is. It's like safe steam, a sprinkle of spice. It's not full on anal with Lucifer, you know? Now going back to that strange comparison, the twist was what connected fragments of my brain together and made me think of the movie Orphan. I don't quite know why fully, but yeah. Orphan. It wasn't nearly as good. I actually really liked Orphan. I haven't watched it in a really long time, actually, but I I just got Orphan vibes. I don't have too much more to say on this film. It was Garbaggio, uh, but yet again, decent to watch and look at. Seemed like fabulous production quality. There, a little compliment sandwich to make up for my horrible anal joke. Number three, Girls with Balls, and it has a 3.9 ranking on IMDb. After their van breaks down in the middle of nowhere, the women of a volleyball team must fight for their lives against a group of degenerate hunters. Degenerate. Degenerate. I don't know why that was so hard to say. Um, this movie. Oh, man. The more I think about it, the more I actually think I liked it or enjoyed the experience, not the movie. I, I don't know. It like started with a cowboy singing an intro, which I was like, wow, this is a really poor voiceover. Why does this have a voiceover? Why is this dubbed? That's so odd. And then I realized it's a French movie. So it has a horrible dub, but whatever. A lot of things do. We move past it. I was just confused because it was very American looking because there's a cowboy. Okay. That's, there's a cowboy narrator. That's how it starts. That's okay. That's all I want to get out there. Let's get the nitty gritty out of the way. The writing, specifically the dialogue. It's something like I have never experienced in my fucking life. The strangest dialogue I have ever heard. Like, who wrote this is what I want to know. I'm not actually that invested. I'm not looking it up because I could very easily just Google it on my phone right now. I'm not that invested. I just want them to know that this was bizarre. It had like this stupid kitty humor and strange um, steaminess. We'll go ahead and use that term from the last title we talked about. Similar to the last film as well. It had great production quality. It looked top notch and I was very impressed by that. I just don't know who the target audience is for this film. It's not quite funny enough, and trust me, the bar is low, to be a stoner comedy or like a Porky's kind of thing, like haha, humor and tits, right? It's not funny enough for that. Obviously, this wasn't made to be like an Oscar winning film. It's meant to be silly, but it didn't even really hit that mark. And as far as horror goes, because this is kind of like a horror film as well, Uh, didn't do much there either. And again, you know how much I enjoy shitty fucking horror films. Or you should know. If you don't know, now you know. I know that 
bad films, comedy and horror-wise, can be endearing. Very endearing. This wasn't that, okay? Trust me. And speaking of horror, what the fuck was the soundtrack? That is more important than dialogue in horror, especially in horror comedies. It's critical. Oh, and speaking of soundtrack, fun little fact. John Carpenter, writer-director of Halloween, he said when he first showed a rough cut of the movie without music to film executives, they were like, bro, this is not scary. What, What the fuck is this? Then he went back with that iconic synthesizer sound that I can't do it. And it made such a difference. I recite this quote all the time and I can't remember who said it. Probably Jordan Peele because I retain every word that comes out of that man's mouth because he's a genius. I may have already said it a million times. Sorry. But the only difference between horror and comedy is the soundtrack. And it's true. And this film uh, did not make the mark for the horror comedy soundtrack vibe. Sound is so critical, even in a cheesy like Z grade film. There was a really epic scene of the girls fighting off the bad guys with volleyballs. It was kind of corny, but it was funny. It really was. And I appreciated that scene. I wish the whole movie had that energy. But I also wish they just kind of stuck with the Porky style. I think that would have worked great for them. I don't know if that has like an actual genre title for it. I just call it like tits and humor, like tits and laugh, Porky's, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That would have been cool instead of adding the horror element or if they just stuck with horror. Actually, I think I'd like that better because there were parts that had potential. Like they took a girl's head and stuck it on a record player so it just spun and spun and it was fucking great yeah I think they should have went more horror now that I'm thinking about it the whole final like I don't know five to ten minutes was great they very obviously paid homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre Deliverance and like Wrong Turn all of those types right and they did that pretty well I feel like if this was done right the horror comedy would have been great but I think they would have had a better shot at just picking a I think that would have been highly entertaining. I think horror comedy is hard. I really do. It's a lot harder than people think. But either way, this was like a really horrendous film. I know I'm praising the ending, but really, I mean, it it didn't save the entire film. The runner up for the worst of the worst, a film titled And Then Came Lola. And it has a decent rank on IMDb with a 4.0. In this sexy lesbian romp, Lola will lose her job and her girlfriend if she can't get to a crucial meeting on time. She's got just three chances to get it right. That is a plot from the internet. Those are not my words. Just throwing that out there. All right. So production wise, it's very student-y and it was just poor and so random. There was this one out of place, weird cartoon moment that served no purpose whatsoever and came out of nowhere. It's like when this girl's running down the stairs or something like that. I was so confused. I I was like, oh, maybe like other moments throughout the movie will have this like cartoon flip switch. I think That would have been cool. Like, I wouldn't have cared. But it was just a random thing. I was actually rooting for this film because we need more LGBTQIA plus films and stories. I just think that it makes for really interesting and unique entertainment from people who have unique experiences. And even that, the word unique doesn't really mean anything in this moment because apparently this is just a blatant ripoff of a German film titled Run Lola Run. And I guess that was more of a crime-esque film from what I understand. And basically the plot of this film is lesbian. And honestly, that's a really fucking cool jumping off point for me. I'm into that. You have my attention, but it didn't deliver. And that really bummed me out. 
I think the context and portrayal of women in this film and gay women being hypersexual can be interpreted in a positive or negative way, depending on your view of things and your experiences. On one hand, I can see why it's degrading and stereotypical. And on the other hand, I like that it's unapologetically in your face gay. I don't think there was a solitary straight woman in this film. And I love that it's that in your face because we can name probably a hundred films that just have straight characters. How many films can you name that just have gay characters? Right. So I love that. I'm not mad at that. When I take the sexuality of the main character out of my review, really all the characters, that's fair. Right. I think that should be something normalized. We shouldn't have to focus on that. But the issue is when I do that, the only thing I'm left with to review is a clock winding down and the goal is to deliver pictures on time. And with that, it's a bad fucking movie, like a really bad fucking movie. I really hope Run Lola Run was better. Regardless, and then came Lola was not it in any capacity. And the number one, worst of the worst, bottom of the dumpster, swimming with the rats and the swill, Fred 3, Camp Fred, which is also the lowest ranked film on this list with an even 2.0 stars. Following the last day of school, Fred Figglehorn reveals his hopes to attend a very popular and luxurious summer camp named Camp Superior. But his dreams are dashed when he learns his mother is sending him to Camp I Wanna Pee Pee. Yep, I want a pee-pee. You heard that correct. He goes to this beautifully named camp because apparently Superior is too expensive. What as a society were we thinking with Fred? Honestly, like 2006 when 13-year-old Mr. Lucas Cruikshank created Fred and we welcomed it like it was a hug from a friend we hadn't seen in 10 years. What the fuck were we doing? Fred was the first ever YouTube channel to have over a million subscribers. This was our OG influencer. Could you imagine if Fred Figglehorn was the lead of He's All That? We put Fred Figglehorn on television, made him a successful franchise, three movies, and a television show. What the fuck were we thinking? To give you a splash of info via Wikipedia, this series of Fred, this universe, this Frediverse, uses a floating timeline, meaning it's always taking place in the current year. And Fred is perpetually six years old, I guess. And in kindergarten, it didn't look like that in this film, but apparently it's kindergarten. Okay. Maybe that was just his YouTube videos. I don't know. I was not the one responsible for making Fred fucking Figglehorn a household name. Okay. This is on you guys. Anyway, the videos primarily consist of the character speaking to the audience about what is happening in his life. Fred has a high-pitched voice and is hyperactive, achieved by speeding up the footage. Cruikshank has described the channel as, quote, programming for kids by kids, as a parody of people who think that everyone is interested in them. He believes that viewers either automatically love Fred or automatically hate Fred. There is no in-between. I'm going to share a weird take, and I don't know if it'll make any sense, but here we find ourselves. Nickelodeon kids, meaning kids that watched Nick and enjoyed the weird fucking creepy Schneider foot humor. You know what I'm talking about. Always made me cringe. Even as a child, the humor has never, ever been funny to me. It was always super annoying. And I feel like Fred's personality perfectly embodies the Nickelodeon kid in their fucking prime. I was always a Disney kid. Most Nickelodeon shows made me uncomfortable. Maybe I knew something already. Maybe I sensed the weird Schneider juju. 
But yeah, I just needed to share that vibe. Maybe it's just me, but like I always thought Nick kids were weird. Not judging you if you were a Nick kid. I have a genuine question though. Again, just like girls with balls. Who is this movie for? Truly, what age group? Is it for elementary kids? Middle school? Who exactly does this appeal to? I need to know for science because the themes or background or whatever you want to call it is pretty heavy. Like Fred's mom is a prostitute, right? Like I'm pretty sure that's confirmed. I really struggled through this movie. I almost backed out. And in that moment of doubt, when I was ready to just pull the plug and find another really bad movie to watch that I could actually stomach, John Cena appeared. Not that I could see him. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> team bring it. He's team lost it and the truth is getting scary because they weren't chanting Rocky last week. They were chanting Tooth Fairy. I have a really embarrassing confession. I had a John Cena poster on my wall as a grown adult. I think I was 19 when I finally got rid of it. And it wasn't because I thought he was a hunk. Please don't mistake this. I thought he was one of the coolest human beings ever. I was like, this guy's badass. I like this guy. The jacked look really isn't my type of look that I go for. But I did like his cargo shorts. I would wear those. But the fact that I just made a you can't see me joke just shows the horrendous influence this movie had on me. I need to just wrap this up. It's a simple and tacky and stupid movie the music sucks the plot if you could call it that sucks um the voice of fred figglehorn hey it's fred good god i don't know the voice i don't know i don't have words it's the voice of my sleep paralysis demon the characters including john cena the legend uh are obnoxious and stupid there isn't an iota of talent or worth anywhere in this film That is the end of this fun little roast. I hope you enjoyed it. Today I want to spotlight the organization RAIN with two N's. RAIN is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. It created and operates the National Sexual Assault Hotline, 800-656-HOPE, and the website online.rain.org in partnership with more than 1,000 local sexual assault service providers across the country and operates the DOD Safe Helpline for the Department of Defense. RAIN also carries out programs to prevent sexual violence, help survivors, and ensure that perpetrators are brought to justice. On their website, you can find everything from grooming warning signs, laws in your state, education and training, and of course, numerous ways you can help, whether it's through donations, volunteer work, student activism, and sharing your own story. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the pod's Instagram at Podcast for updates on streaming news, and or you can follow my personal Instagram. Instagram, L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z. If you want to see my acid trip brain, puke all over my Instagram stories. And I'm also on TikTok at L-E-A-M-A-R-Z-Z. And you can still purchase my collection of art and poetry titled Myocardium. It's available in paperback and also a mobile version is available. The link for that is located in my personal Instagram bio. Until next time, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, and stay strong. (laughs) 